That song by Dr. G. Unipingu, the late Gurumul, is called Weathal, and I apologise if that's not the correct pronunciation, but it means it's a, it's a First Nations uh, term, uh, looking for place. Uh, very sad that almost five years ago, uh, early next month, he passed away, but this is one of the beautiful songs that is indeed his legacy, and it serves to introduce Rita's time up in the Kimberley, which uh, not exactly where he came from, but uh, certainly he was uh, a Northern Australian Aborigine. Rita Ehrlich's just been away on an expedition cruise, one of those offered by Silver Sea Cruises. She learnt a great deal about the Kimberley thanks to one of the specialists on board, Malcolm Turner. He was one of a dozen who went out with passengers looking at the landscape and the water, giving formal and informal talks. His special areas are birds and Aboriginal art. Rita spoke to him while on board. I'm on board a boat called the Silver Explorer. We're traveling from Broome to Darwin. And what makes this such an interesting trip, apart from the rocks, apart from the ocean, apart from the food and wine, and the pleasure of everyone's company, is the fact that we've got an expedition crew who are all highly knowledgeable and who at every point inform us about what we're looking at, what we're seeing, what we're about to see. Malcolm Turner's one of the lecturers on board. His special area is ornithology and he has also a special interest in Aboriginal art. Malcolm, what took you to ornithology? I guess I began when I was knee-high to a duck. I grew up in Melbourne, in the bushy part, Blackburn, and I always had an interest in birds and other wildlife. And it sort of grew from there. I studied biology, went straight into national parks in Victoria, spent 12 and a half years there, and then to the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority and managed the islands and reef up there. That still hasn't got us to birds exactly, well, except ex- that birds wildlife is, is birds. Yes, it's part of that. And I guess part of my responsibilities on the reef was was managing the seabird islands. And seabirds were a particularly important feature of, of the coast and the islands. And so I spent a lot of time monitoring those. And then in my spare time, I would also go looking for birds. So, yes, yeah, just been a passion. And how long have you been a lecturer on Silver Explorer? Well, I've been with Silver Sea more or less full-time since 2014. Okay, which is a good stretch. That's eight years. Yes, and I've been coming to the Kimberley even before that um, on other boats. So I've, I've done this cruise on the Kimberley coastline, this remote area, over 50 times since 2006. How different is it each time? It is different. Every trip is different. We go to some of the same places and features and the art doesn't change much. We still see that, but the wildlife does because every time we go to a place, you'll see a different set of wildlife or wildlife doing different things. We've learned, I've learned about terns and about egrets of various sizes. Yes. Uh, What are some of the other birds we see around here? Some of the most dramatic ones are the birds of prey. 
sea. So the white-bellied sea eagle, the brahmini kite, and the osprey. And they're the, the birds that are hunting marine life, trying to catch fish, take them back to big stick nests up on the cliffs. And we've seen, I've seen sea eagles, mm. and on one of our expeditions we watched a sea eagle being chased by a peregrine falcon. Yes, yes, I saw that too. Yes. yes that was dramatic. The, the peregrine falcon was obviously defending a nest so it was screaming and flying at the eagle and they're pretty game the falcons when they're defending their nest if they weren't they would give it a wide berth mm. but uh, they harass the eagle away and interestingly the eagle chose to move away yes yes well uh, i mean a peregrine falcon can be as fast it's got claws it you know it it's a hassle for the eagle to deal with. Better to leave it alone. That's right. Unless there's something the peregrine falcon's defending that is truly delicious. Well, yes, but peregrine falcons are pretty good at hiding their chicks in in ledges. So it's a difficult thing for the seagull to get access to. So it's not an easy meal. It's easier for an eagle to go and leave them alone and look for some fish down in the river. river. It seems to me that there are many defining things about this remote coast. Rocks and tides yes, are, are the two that most readily yes. spring to mind. And the rocks are full of all sorts of unexpected things. Yes. They're, they're extraordinary to look at. And what I've found so extra extraordinary is this sense that of their age yes. and the sense in which they almost predate time. Yes. But these the that some of the rocks are so old there are no fossils in them. Yes. They're one point eight billion years old. So that's you know, that's eight eighteen thousand million years old. And that's uh well, it's older than you and I even. <laughs> put and, together. Uh, put together. <laughs> but yes, extraordinary. These are some of the oldest rocks on Earth. And some of them, particularly in the northern part, they were rocks, they're sandstone, they were laid down on a seabed you know, 1.8 billion years ago, and they came from mountains that were eroded inland. The Kimberley rocks are some of the oldest rocks on Earth, still in the same horizontal layers in many places that, as they were when they were laid down. Um, they've been uplifted a bit above the, the sea level now, but they've, many of them are very unchanged in all of that time. This is one of the most stable parts of the Earth's crust. It hasn't been up, hasn't been earthquakes. And it's, if you ever want to, if you're scared of earthquakes, come and live on the Kimberley because these rocks have been sitting in that level plane for 1.8 billion years. I still find it hard to get my head around that length of time. Yes. The, the thing about the rocks too and rock ledges is that they they shelter rock wallaby in certain places, they're yes. good for birds but they are particularly good for Aboriginal communities sheltering from the wet Yes. and spending their time painting and talking and eating. There are seafood middens, so we know people ate and drank. But the rock art is fascinating. And what has interested me so much is to see how much it changes from place to place. Yes. The Kimberley has unique rock art that is found nowhere else. There are two types. Again, 
distinct to the Kimberley. The most recent type is the Wanjuna, and that's the art that is has meaning for the, the current-day Aboriginal peoples who live along the coast. The Wanjinas are paintings of creation beings, and they're wonderful sort of bold images of, of heads with headdresses. And the headdresses symbolise clouds, the clouds that are part of the build-up to the, the wet season. And there's lines radiating from them which are lightning. And the Wanjina were creation beings, and they went around the landscape interacting with other beings and, and animals which helped create the landscape and also helped give lessons to the Aboriginal people that have come to live on it. And uh, that's that current Wanjina painting. When when were the first Wanjina paintings? Do we know? Because I know from you that they're repainted and repainted or yes. to keep the spirit alive. Yes, Wanjina paintings, there are a number of different reasons why Aboriginal people paint and, and some of it is recording some interesting event or something they've never seen before. Sometimes it's part of the educational process for different ages of people in the community and some of it is deeply spiritual and that's the important Wanjina figures. They have to be kept fresh. If they're fresh, the land can stay healthy because the Wanjina spirits are still living in the land. They're still there and you have to keep the painting fresh to keep the Wanjina fresh. When were the first paintings? Do we know? Do we have any idea? Yes. Or doesn't it matter? Well, yes, in time, the Wanjinas are a fairly recent development. And I say recent, it's all relative. Mm. So we know that Wanjinas are at least four and a half thousand years old and, and they probably go back a few thousand years before that. Then there's an earlier set of painting in the Kimberley, which is known as the Guion Guion painting. They were formerly called Bradshaw paintings, which some people in Australia uh, may have heard of, named after an early white pioneer. But Aboriginal people have always said, why not call them what we've always called them, which is the, um, the Guion Guion art. Now, it's much older. And if you ask the current day Aboriginal people where these paintings came from and, and what do they mean, they'll say, oh, these come from a long time ago. The meaning is, has been lost. And the story is that they were painted by the Guion bird. And the Guion bird is also known as the sandstone shrike thrush. And it was hopping amongst the rock looking for spiders and it broke its beak and it got one of its tail feathers and dipped it in the blood from the wound and painted these lovely fine lines on the rock which is the Guion Guion art. Which seems to represent a festivity and dance. Yes, the way of the Wanjina is spirit beings and creation beings and animals. The Guion art is, is essentially it's mainly people. They painted themselves dressed in ceremonial costume. And that's an extra, such an extraordinary thing to see. People obviously caught in the middle of dance with, yes. with decorations yes. carrying things. Yes. And it's like looking at something frozen curiously in time. And it's a time that's hard for us to comprehend, yes. except they're people dancing. Yes. It's, it's people dressed up. It's a ceremonial outfit. And they would dress up for important ceremonies. So the meaning, as I say, has been lost 
but there would have been a, a strong spiritual meaning to it because they had dressed up in the, the spiritual sort of costumes. And for many of the people, the painting and, and the dancing is it's not, not a, a be-all and end-all. It's a means of keeping their spirits uh, alive and healthy. So even the, the pro process of dance, the process of art is is part of the, the experience and part of the ensuring that the land and themselves continue to be and, and healthy. And that's different from Western art, and particularly older Western art, which is a way of recording things. Yes. And if you look, if I look at a lot of, say, medieval art, what you're seeing is moral lessons about virtues. Yes. This is slightly different because it's it's a continuing present. Yes, I mean you can still there's still moral lessons in there. So, for example, there's the story of the two Alan Nightjars who fought over a honey that one had found and didn't want to share with the other, and they ended up hitting the, each other over the head and causing themselves to bleed, and the the blood reached the ground and became the ochre, and um, and there's different colours ochres from the different um, night jars the, and they and um, there's a moral story there that you do need to share or there'll be tears so yes you know the painting and telling the story is, is sort of the one thing and whereas many western art we we buy western art and put it on the wall and look back and think oh yeah that's aesthetically pleasing for Aboriginal people the painting process is more important than coming back later and, and, and admiring saying, oh how beautifully done was that yes. yes so it's the process of, of painting or incising but yes. we haven't seen much incision on this trip no and that's because we've got the caves and the, this beautiful rock you did engravings when you didn't have caves to protect the art and so if you think of the big engraving sites the Burrup Peninsula and, and so there was sites in Central Australia which are good for engravings they haven't got the rock shelters and, and caves that we have in Northern Australia and the Kimberley. And the Kimberley particularly. And what's so lovely, of course, is that over the millennia, that ochre has become part of the rock. Yes, yes. It, it's, um, it binds with the rock surface, which has protected it. When some of these paintings were uh, originally made, and some of these Guion paintings are very old, I can talk about how old, but they may have had other pigments with but the white pigments is a clay and it doesn't bind with the rock so it doesn't last but the ochres have a lot of iron in them and they bond with the the sandstone oh, I, now i understand how old do we think the green green now well it certainly predates the wanjanum and we think it stopped about 12,000 years ago but the real key date is the middle sequence because the art has changed over time and they've looked at some of the older Guion art in this sequence of development and have looked at mud wasp nests that are built on top of the art and they can date how long those mud wasp nests have been there and anything underneath that wasp nest that was built on the cliff surface is older than that and we've got a date of 17,000 years. So 
this art is older than 17,000 years. Time time has different meanings here. There's a very different yes. sense of time. And that's just think about what else was happening in the world 17,000 years ago. And, you know, it's... Not, not much that I know about. Yes, not much, although, you know, except there were other people with their own cultures right. and, and doing doing painting and 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 talking and and having oral traditions but certainly it was before the settlement and agriculture and um, before the seas rose yes yes because the seas rose what about 10,000 years yes ago? yeah and they, they rose and finished about it's when the ice age finished and they they come up and they finished about 7,000 years ago so between 12 to 7,000 they rose up and much of Australia was covered it was something like when the at the height of the last ice age Australia was 25% bigger and then the, and the Aboriginal people lived 200 kilometres away from the Kimberley coastline that of today's coastline um, they lived where the resources were richest which is along the shoreline that's where they could get shellfish and fish so most of the people were always along the coastline and when the sea level dropped and rose again the people would follow that coastline and that's part of the reason there's a, a gap between the Guion art and the Wanjana art because at that time people were further on, out on on the move yes <laughs> they are on the that then and in what's now underwater Malcolm thank you so much for sharing this with us Rita Ehrlich there speaking with Malcolm Turner on board the Silver Explorer This is the Travel Writer Show on J Air 88 FM in Melbourne.